Well, this morning we'll be giving a series of messages entitled R12. R12 is based on Romans chapter 12. And what we'll be doing over the next six weeks is going through Romans chapter 12. And we will be going back into the Old Testament and looking at uh, men from the Old Testament as they relate to Romans chapter 12. So if you pull out your, your bookmarker, uh, we've got a plan here for you for the next six weeks. And each week it, it shows you, next week we'll be talking about a man named Abraham and how he was willing to sacrifice everything because of his relationship with God. And then, um, so each week we have a reading plan for you. For this next week, what we want you to do is read Romans chapter 12. By the way, how many of you read the first 11 chapters of Romans um, last week? Wow, we've got a few Thank you very much. You know, there's once a preacher who asked his congregation to read uh, Mark chapter 18. And so, uh, for, in preparation for the next week, and so um, when the next Sunday came, he asked for a show of hands for all of those who had read Mark chapter 18. And sure enough, there were a few guys that raised their hands and said they had read Mark chapter 18. And the pastor went on to remind them that Mark only has 16 chapters. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking about honesty. Now, I trust all of you that raised your hands. I believe you did. But in this series, you know, as always, it's important that you are in God's Word. And the book of Romans is a very rich book that, that we really need to understand, and, and you've got to be engaged. And so we're going to, we, we've made this very simple for you to every week be reading um, the book of Romans, and then the book that, uh, like for next um, week two, you'll be, after I preach about Abraham, then you'll be going back and reviewing um, the life of Abraham. Then in our ABFs, we'll be talking about that. In our community groups, we'll be talking about what was preached about, helping us together to grow. Because the fundamental question we're trying to answer in this series is, is what is what is true spirituality? In the world we live in today, spirituality is a big thing. But there is a lot of counterfeit spirituality that we run into. So what does it mean? What does an authentic follower of Christ look like? That's what we want to look at. That's what we want you to wrestle with yourself and look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I an authentic follower of Christ? You know, how do we move away from, from a compartmentalized faith? You know, we're so good at compartmentalizing our faith. We show up on Sunday morning and we do church. But then on Monday we go to school or we, we do, we go to work and, and we, we play and we have all these things. But our faith can't be compartmentalized. Our faith, true spirituality is is my faith impacts every area of my life. It's evident in my work, in my school, in my play. It's evident in everything that I do. We can't compartmentalize our faith. Or we have a legalistic faith. I do this because this is my responsibility. This is my duty. But true spirituality, as we think about it, begins with an accurate view of God 
I have to have a right view of God if I'm going to have uh, true spirituality, if I'm going to be an authentic Christ follower. I have to have a right view of God. A.W. Tozer once said, and if you want a good view of God, um, A.W. Tozer, Knowledge of the Holy, is a book that every Christian should have on their shelf and should be pulling out on a regular basis to read little bits of it. Tozer said that what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most most important thing about us. I want you to listen to one view of God this morning that maybe this isn't an accurate view. You might want to lower your voice a little before we go in. He might be sleeping right now. He's old, you know, and he just doesn't much understand or, or like this newfangled modern world. His golden days, the ones he talks about when you really get him going, were a long time ago before most of us were even born. That was back when people cared what he thought about things and considered him pretty important to their lives. Of course, you know, that's all changed now, though, and God, poor fellow, just never adjusted very well. Life's moved on and passed him by. Now he spends most of his time just hanging in the garden out back. I go there sometimes to see him, and there we tarry, walking and talking softly and tenderly among the roses. Anyway, a lot of people still like him, it seems, or at least he manages to keep his poll numbers pretty high. And you'd be surprised how many people even drop by to visit and ask for things every once in a while. But of course, that's all right with him because, you know, he's here to help. And thank goodness, all the crankiness you read about sometimes in his old books, you know, having the earth swallow people up, raining fire down on cities, that sort of thing. All that seems to have faded now in his old age. Now, he's just good-natured, a low-maintenance friend who's really easy to talk to, especially since he almost never talks back. And when he does, it's usually to tell me through some slightly weird sign that what I want to do, regardless, is all right by him. That really is the best kind of friend, isn't it? You know, the best thing about him, though, he doesn't judge me ever for anything Oh, sure, I know that deep down he wishes I'd be better, more loving, less selfish, and and all that stuff, but he's realistic. He knows I'm human, and nobody's perfect, and I'm totally sure he's fine with that. Besides, forgiving people, it's his job. It's what he does. After all, he's love, right? And I like to think of love as never judging, only forgiving. That's the God I know, and I wouldn't have him any other way. All right, hold on a second. Okay, we can go in now. And don't worry, we don't have to stay long, really. He's grateful for any time he can get. Is that your view of God? 
Because for, for so many people in, in today's world, God is this old stodgy guy that, that hasn't kept up with the times, doesn't even have an iPhone, you know, is this old gray-haired guy that's just a grandpa, just loving people and, and, and not concerned. He, he's okay with whatever we do because he's there to forgive us and, and, and he'll take whatever time he can get. That is a wrong view of God. And for too many people, that's their view, an old stodgy grandpa that's just there for you to ask for things when you want it, and he's there to, to provide them, like a Santa Claus type of, type of guy. And so that's a wrong view of God. Some people think God is an angry deity, and therefore their faith, their, their, their religion is driven by their fear of him. And, you know, this last week we heard in the conference um, one, of the, one of the sessions was about spiritual abuse, how people use the Bible to beat up people and, and to abuse them because of this view, because putting a fear. And, and, and we need to have a, a right fear of God. Some people look at him as, as a cosmic scorekeeper up there on the, with this piece of chalk just keeping track of our good and our bad deeds. Some of you think that, that God is somebody who we just are there to please. And, and so we have a performance-driven faith. And we're never quite sure if we've done enough to please him or to appease him. Well, if you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called his children. You see, a right view of God is that, that he is our father. He is our heavenly father. He desires relationship with us. He's not a cosmic scorekeeper or an old, old stodgy grandpa, but he is personal and he is loving. He is kind, but he's also holy and he is just. You know, he loves me. He has desire for me to love him back. He desires for me to respond to him. He truly is my father. And for those of us that have children, know that, that our children are, are the greatest joy in our lives, but also cause us at times the greatest pain. And being a parent is, is, is the greatest thing in the world, and sometimes it can be the worst thing in the world. Because choices our children make affect us. Our choices our children make sometimes grieve us and sadden us. But at other times, they bring us joy and fulfillment. But at the end of the day, we love our children no matter what. We love them no matter what kinds of mistakes they make or, or how much they mess up their lives. We still love them. And our desire is for them to, to, to have right relationship with us and right relationship with the people around them, to, to, be, to be men and women of character. And we don't so much care what they do for a living. We just want them to, be, to have joy in their lives to, 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 to have character and just to, to be good quality people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That should be the number one um, goal for me as a parent is to see my children have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to become more like him. Well, our Heavenly Father is just like that. You know, we grieve him, we bring him joy. He wants what is absolutely best for us. And at the end of the day, he wants us, God desires for us to be like his son, 
to be like Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the, the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. We're being transformed into his glory, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what our heavenly father desires more than anything else for us. And Romans, and the book of Romans so gives us this right view of God. And Romans chapter 12, which we'll be focusing on, begins, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, if you to understand Romans chapter 12, and you look at that word, therefore, why is it there? There's a transition. You see, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to look back and see what is before it. And Romans chapters 1 through 11 give us a proper view of God. Not always the view that we want to have because, because it's painful at times, but it is the right view of God. It is the way we need to understand him. So the therefore is there for a reason, and we have to understand the first 11 chapters if we want to understand chapters 12 through 15. Paul is saying, in light of what you have just heard in these first 11 chapters, this is how you ought to live your life. The theme verse, verses for Romans is, is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now that word gospel, Paul says, it is the gospel that I am not ashamed of. He says, it is the power. That word power is from the the Greek word dimidius, I think, which is dynamite. Where we get our word dynamite, Paul says, this word is dynamite. It is powerful. And that is why I am not ashamed of it because it is the power that brings salvation, that brings righteousness to the people of God. We have to understand Romans if we're going to understand how to live life. We have to understand God. And Paul says, I understand him through this word which is powerful. Hebrews says that is living and active. And Paul says, I am eager to preach Everywhere I go, because this word is going to bring salvation. It's going to bring people in a right relationship with God. Because his word is powerful. It is strong. It is mighty. It is dynamite. So Paul begins in Romans chapters 1 through 3. He talks to us about our sin problem. Because in Romans chapters 1 through 11, it talks about sin and it talks about salvation and sanctification and sovereignty and then about serving. But in chapters 1 through 3, he talks about our sin problem, our problem that separates us from God because you see, every person ever born is separated from God because of sin. Romans 1.21, this is what it says, 
Turn with me there. If you turn, we'll just, just, we're going to start at the beginning of Romans and we're going to work through there in 30 minutes or less. Which the book of Romans is a book that, that we could spend, literally we could spend a year going through this book. There is that much there. But that's something for you during the week to be wrestling with and understanding. So Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul talking about the sin problem. He says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. It says, they were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received for themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Then in verse 28, Paul goes on. He says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthy to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a deprived mind. To do whatever, what ought not to be done. Does that sound like our world today? We don't find it important to retain the knowledge of God. We think this is just something to do maybe in our spare time. Maybe if I have a little bit of extra time, I'll get into the word. We don't retain the knowledge of God. Therefore, that's why we are, we are consumed with, we, 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 are, we give in to false teaching because we don't understand the word. Paul says that because they chose not to retain the knowledge of God, they gave themselves over to despicable, sinful acts. It says, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they did, they did not only to continue to do these things, but they also approved of those who practiced them. So Paul said, they knew the righteous decrees of God and that, that these despicable acts deserve death and yet they did these things and they approved of these things. See, he, uh, he was, he's explaining to us the sin problem that exists in our world. Then in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, for, for, for people, for everyone who continues in sin, who has an unrepentant heart, there is being stored up a wrath from God that will someday be executed. If you're living in sin and you're unrepentant, someday you will reap the consequences of that sin and that unrepentant heart. Paul says there's a problem here. It's called sin. And he says in Romans 3.23, it's not just for some people. He says, for all have sinned, every person, and fallen short of the glory of God. See, we all fall short. None of us in and of ourselves are able to please to come before a holy God because we are sinful. Sin literally means missing the mark. Every one of us misses the mark. All fall short of the glory of God. And that sin, this problem of sin separates us, separates man from God. And that is true for all people of all times. 
So that's the problem that Paul begins with in Romans chapters 1 through 3. But then he gives us a solution. He gives us hope. He gives us good news. In Romans chapters 4 and 5, Paul talks about salvation. God's solution in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If salvation means the, the acutely dynamic act of snatching others by force from serious peril. You see, we're all in trouble. We're all in danger of eternal death. But salvation is the saving of a life from death and harm. And that's why Jesus came. You know, it's nothing that we have done. It's nothing that we deserve. But it's all about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. He snatched us from the perils of death. He died in my place and he paid my sin so that I could have eternal life. He atoned for my sins and it was a completely free gift that he gave. It's not something I can work for or earn. It is something that I am given. Because remember, the father loves me. He wants me to be like his son. He wants what's best for me. So he sent his son to die for me. Romans chapter 4. It says, now when a man works, his wages is not credited to him as a gift, but an obligation. When we work, we expect to get paid. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. Nothing I can do can earn me a place in heaven. It's because of what Christ did that makes me righteous. You know, David said in verse 7, Paul quotes David. He says, blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Paul says those of us, or, or Davis, those of us who accept Jesus Christ, we are blessed because our sins have been forgiven. And our sins will never be counted against us. We are blessed. So by simple faith, in verses in chapters 4 and 5, we turn from our sin and we believe that Christ's death on the cross was enough to pay for my sin. And you know what? There, there are some of you sitting here that your whole life you've been trying to earn your way into heaven. You can't do it. It's not works-based. It's not of ourselves. It's all about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. See, the works come out of, out of my relationship with Christ. And then in, in chapters 6 through 8, then Paul talks about the thing of sanctification. What does sanctification mean? First of all, it is living your new life in God's power and growing progressively in Christ's likeness. Sanctification is the continual process of becoming like Jesus Christ. Remember, way back, God wants us to be like his son. Sanctification is the continual process of becoming like Jesus, of looking more and more like him. It is the process of being made holy, resulting in a changed lifestyle for the believer. 
And see, for people that say that they've accepted Jesus Christ, they've, they've received this, you know, they've understood sin and, and, and the need for salvation, but there's no sanctification, there's no change in the way they live their lives. Was there really change? Did something really happen? And we've talked about this over the last several weeks, but, but if there is no sanctification, if there is no change in the way you live your life, I would question whether you experience salvation. Because Paul says you will be changed. Now Paul also understands that, that this, this thing of sanctification is a continual struggle. And it's hard work. And it's a challenge. And in, in chapter 7 verse 24, as Paul is looking at, as he's writing this letter, he says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? If you go before that, Paul is wrestling with, you know, he wants to do what is right, but he's always doing what's wrong. You know, he can't. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I do, I don't want to do. And he's, he's struggling. He says, what a wretched man I am. And sometimes we all feel like that. What a wretched man. But then he says, but thanks be to God through Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. But he says, thanks be to God that I can put my hope in Christ Jesus. He is where I get my strength. In chapter 8, Paul continues to recognize this struggle, this thing of sanctification. But then he says in chapter 8, verse 18, you know, sometimes you wonder, is it worth the struggle? Is it worth the battle? But Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 18, I consider these present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Paul says, you know, all of this stuff, all of this suffering, all of this pain that I go through don't even come close to comparing to what I will experience when I meet Jesus, when glory is revealed to us. So Paul is giving us hope. He showed us the sin problem. He showed us the solution to that sin problem. Then he showed us what, what that look, looks like after we accept Christ and the sanctification process. But it's a lifelong struggle that we engage in as Christ followers. But Paul says it's worth the battle. It's worth the struggle. Because when we, when we remain firm in our faith, there's a reward waiting for us. And Paul, in chapters 9 through 11, talks about the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God Chapters 9 through 11 talk about a living confidence, living in confidence because God is in control and he does keep his promises. This may be the hardest two chapters in all of the Bible to, to, to work through and to explain. But they're here to remind us that God is sovereign, that he is all-powerful, that he is not only directing history, but, but he has a plan for you and I. Paul has made it clear that, 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 that of God's saving promises has been fulfilled through the, in the Gentiles, in you and I, that the church of Jesus Christ now enjoys the spiritual blessings that were promised to Israel, that we receive the gift of the Spirit, 
We have been adopted as children, as his children. And we will all see a future glory. Those are all things that God promised to the Gentiles. But then Paul asks whether these promises that God made are are authentic. Are these promises real? You know, the promises that God made to Israel. You know, and and he he goes through this whole process in chapters 9 through 11, explaining that, that he made promises to Israel, and he's going to keep those promises. He's made promises to us as Gentiles, and he's going to keep those promises. The promises to the Jews remains unfulfilled, but they will one day be fulfilled. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, Verse 25, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so all of Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come to Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. See, God's not done with the nation of Israel yet. He still has a plan for them, and he still has a promise to fulfill to them. And and Paul just goes through reminding us that God is faithful, that he does fulfill all of his promises. Then Paul moves to chapter 12. There's a transition now in this passage, in this book. Now he talks about God's righteousness in everyday life. You know, the gift of God's saving righteousness leads to new life. And so what are the practical implications of God's saving mercy? In other words, how do I respond in grace to the Father? How do I respond to what he's done for me? He he rescued me from my problem of sin and my eternal damnation in hell. He rescued me from that through his son, Jesus Christ. He's given me a plan and a purpose. Now, how do I respond? Like saying, you know, I love you. Now, how do I do? What do I do? What do you want from me? I think in Romans chapter 12, this is what God says he wants from us. I want you to surrender all that you are and all that you have. I want you to get into this process of renewing your mind every day. If you come to me, I will renew your mind every day. They would say, I don't want you to be conformed to the patterns of this world. I don't want you to live like the world lives. I want you to understand how I made you. I want to make sure that you have a sober self-assessment of yourself. I want you to get connected with people. I don't want you to just show up for church once a week. I want you to get connected with the body of Christ. I want you to do life with other believers so that when the hard times come, somebody will be there to pick you up and you will be there to pick up those who are going through hard times. I want you to get connected at the heart with other people. See, Romans chapter 12 is what it means to be an authentic follower of Christ. 
True spirituality is, is built on a principle of relationship. And so often I get caught up in this thing of performance where I think I have to do I have to read, I have to, to show up, I, I have to volunteer, I have to do this. And there are times that I come across like that, where I tell you, you have to. Jesus was once asking in Matthew chapter 22, he said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the most important thing about the law? And Jesus looked at this lawyer and he says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. He says the most important thing is your relationship with Christ. But then he goes on. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depends all of the law and the prophet. So it says, he was asked, what's the most important thing about this faith that I have? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, relationship with Jesus Christ. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And Romans chapter 12 talks a whole lot about loving our neighbor. About doing but it's out of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, what God has done for us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. You see, it's out of my relationship that I do. See, I can't stand up here and force you to do. Other people can't force you to do. If you don't do it's because you don't have a right understanding of the mercies of God. Because Paul said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. See, true spirituality is about loving God and loving other people. And so over the next five weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. Talk about a relationship with God and a right relationship with God equates surrender to God. And we're going to talk about how Abraham surrendered his life to God. We're going to talk about a relationship with the world. You see, a right understanding of God it will help me to be separate from the world's values. And we're going to talk about how Daniel lived a life separate of his culture. You know, Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A right relationship with God helps you to have a right relationship with yourself, sober in our self-assessment, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. We're going to look at the life of Moses. And we're going to look at our relationship with other believers, serving one another in love, and what right relationships look like. And we're going to look at the relationship that David and Jonathan had. And last week, we're going to look at the relationship with non-believers, responding to evil with good. And if everything goes 
the way planned Kenny Crosswhite, um, who's been here before, who's a chaplain for NASCAR, will be here um, talking about that relationship. Romans 12, um, at the end it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, this whole process, this, this series isn't, and our, our relationship with Christ isn't a try-hard moral code to live by, but it is a faith response to what God has already done in my life. And my prayer is that all of us, that we would take this time over the next um, six weeks to do a sober self-assessment of ourselves and ask, where am I at? Am I offering my body as a living sacrifice? And so I hope you, you, you engage yourself in this time in Romans chapter 12. And that your faith will be in response to what God has already done for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for, um, for what you've done for us, for the gift of salvation. Thank you that you strengthen us in the sanctification process. Thank you that your promises are dependable and we know that every promise you make, you will keep. And that because of those promises, I know that I will one day see you face to face. Lord, I pray on this Romans 12 journey, Lord, that we would all in some way be changed. Lord, there are those here this morning that have a, have a fear of God an unhealthy fear. Lord, I pray that, that their hearts would be, would be renewed and transformed. Lord, there are those who have a, a Santa Claus type mentality that, that you're just there to give and, and, and to, to do what we want you to do. Lord, help us to get a right view of you. To see your holiness, to see your beauty. Lord, that we would be transformed by a right view of you. The Lord, ultimately, we would glorify you with our lives. In everything that we do, in every area of our lives, you would be glorified. I pray that in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, one thing that I forgot to mention was another area that we're really encouraging you and challenging you in is, is to memorize the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12. Now, if my calculations are right, that's less than two verses a week. And we have it, we have it planned out for you. So today, when you go home, before you watch the Browns, memorize Romans chapters 1 and 2. It doesn't take that long. And it's far more profitable I would think. Somebody asked me, what do I get for this? I said, you get the incredible blessing of hiding God's word in your heart. And so we're going to, at the last two weeks of the series, we're going to have a listening table um, for you to come and to memorize these first eight verses. I'd love to see 100 people on there. 
You know, the children are doing the same thing in this, uh, this same similar series. And so it's something that you as parents can talk to your children about when you get home every Sunday. So that you're discipling and training your children in this process.